Welcome to LaGrave Cerce's Sermon Podcast. Today, Reverend John Rotman, a member of our church and a retired professor of preaching, will be continuing our Apocalyptic Advent series with a sermon on the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. It goes like this. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but didn't take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all began to become drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps, The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and for you. Instead, go to those who sell oil. Buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, Open the door for us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. The worst wedding I ever attended involved one of my cousins, kids. I hope none of them are here this morning. (laughs) He didn't leave the bride standing at the altar or anything like that, but he left his guests waiting for what seemed like endless hours. True enough, the wine was complimentary and readily available, but after one glass on an empty stomach, Marilyn and I slammed on the brakes. One foolish virgin at our table apparently only tapped the brakes and was soon rather tipsy. Half an hour into the endless wait, Marilyn went off looking for some snacks or for something to eat. But with no sign of the wedding couple or snacks, my stomach began to growl. And I complained a bit. Well, maybe more than a little bit. We waited and waited. We should have stopped at McDonald's, I said. I could have used a Big Mac right about now, or maybe before right about now. How can they be so rude? We waited and waited. Finally, after more than two hours, the young couple and their entourage actually showed up at the venue. Apparently, they'd been out joyriding in their rented limousine, out to Lake Michigan and back, stopping for photo opportunities along the way. My guess is they probably stopped at McDonald's for something to eat as well. (laughs) So after more than two hours of waiting, Marilyn and I choked down our rubber chicken and passed up the time to dance with each other. We had, quite frankly, run out of oil. Now in today's Bible reading, Jesus tells a story in which some potential wedding guests actually do run out of oil, 
as they wait for the bridegroom to show up. The waiting ones are, well, you know, ten virgins. Five of them are wise and five of them are foolish. The waiting in the story begins even before the wedding and well before the reception. Jesus doesn't say in his story what delayed the bridegroom. But in his story, the ten virgins, we probably call them bridesmaids today, stand ready to meet the wedding couple and do their job of assisting the bride. No one quite knows what the standard wedding features were back then. All the commentaries say, we don't know. Did they have a unity candle? Probably not. Did someone walk someone down the aisle? We don't know about that either. They probably did, however, haggle about the bride price or the dowry before the wedding. The respective fathers got into that act. Alcohol may have been involved, who knows. Anyway, the negotiations apparently extended well into the evening, close to midnight. And all the while, the bridesmaids waited with lit torches, ready to lead the way into the banquet hall. But no bridegroom showed up. As the evening wears on, eyelids droop, the oil-soaked oil lamps begin to flicker, and as the torches burn down, all ten of them, all ten of them, mind you, fall asleep. But then late into the evening, someone wakes them all with a shout, He's here! He's here! Get ready! Get ready! Five of them, of course, take out their spare oil, dip their torches in it, light them up, and are ready to go. Five of the others stare frantically at their oilless torches, turn to the other five and say, could you give us some of the oil? We need oil. And in an exchange that would have irritated Barney, the patron saint of sharing, 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 they said, we just don't have enough to share with you. We won't have enough for ourselves. So the foolish take off to buy midnight oil while the wedding party finally arrives and the wise lead the wedding party into the reception hall, let the party begin, finally, yay. Meanwhile, sometime later, the foolish five breathlessly arrive at the wedding venue. They pound on the door. Come on, come on, let us in, please, please let us in. But the bridegroom, who apparently peeks out in a crack through the door, says, get away from here, I don't know you, scram. Well, that's the end of the story, sort of. Get out. I don't know you. With that, Jesus means to warn us about being prepared for his second coming. If you're not ready, you risk missing the great heavenly banquet. The door to God's future could be locked out to you. On the outside, not even looking in, some of us, stand in danger, out of oil when it really counts. But what does it mean, anyway, to run out of oil? What are we supposed to make of these shut-out, foolish five virgins? Back at East Muskegon Church Sunday School, when I was four or five, Mr. DeWall would lead us in that little ditty about singing about oil. You know, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, keep me 
give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. Some of the younger people here look blank, like I'd never heard that before. <laughs> I could have sung it and taught it to you, but anyway. Um, my guess is that none of us at age four or five had any idea what the oil was talking about. Um, but even at that young age, a song like that was meant to begin to get us to focus on being prepared for Jesus coming back, even though we didn't quite understand it. Later, our, and when we were teenagers, our teachers filled in some of the details. They, they warned us about being caught reading the wrong sorts of books or magazines, and even worse, watching forbidden movies in movie theaters, sort of like anything more racy than the sound of music. That was a sure sign of being a foolish virgin and of running short on oil. Maybe the teachers at my church in Muskegon were a bit too restrictive, I'm willing to admit that. But Jesus, want, Jesus does want us to be prepared. So what do you suppose he has in mind? How do we prepare for his coming during Advent? Maybe you noticed in Jesus' story that all ten virgins, to one degree or another, are unprepared for the arrival of the bridegroom. If we go back into the details of the story, we might, be, we might suppose that the key to preparation is staying awake. There might be good reason for thinking that way. In Mark 13, Jesus tells another story about his coming back. And the upshot of that one is that you're supposed to stay awake. Don't let him find you sleeping when he comes. But the ten virgins in the story, all ten of them fall asleep. None of their torches continue burning till the break of day, as the little song says. All ten are snoring in the darkness with cold, burnt-out torches lying somewhere nearby. All ten seem less than fully attentive. Hmm, what are you supposed to make of that? When we think about our own attentiveness to the return of Jesus, all of us are, I suppose, either wise or foolish, but none of us are fully attentive, or at least not as fully attentive as we could be. Our concerns on any given day about the money or about the markets or about our 401ks threaten to lull us into kind of a drowsy sleep to Jesus' possible coming that day. If Jesus were slated to return sometime firmly in the next two weeks, why, no doubt we would adjust the way that we think about and spend our money. If we knew Jesus were coming back tomorrow, we might think differently about and live out our sexuality in different ways. But the return of Jesus is somewhere in the often hazy, darkening future. Lack of preparation for all of us threatens to steal over us. We grow drowsy to waiting for his promised second coming. I mean, quite honestly, you can't spend every moment thinking about Jesus' second coming, can you? You have to wonder if any of us here stand in danger of knocking at the door and having the voice behind it say, Scram, get out of here. I never knew you. Will our attentiveness to worldly concerns somehow keep us out of the heavenly banquet? That's the 
troubling question this text raises. Will the oil in our lamp allow us to enter the bridegroom's heavenly feast? Our temptation, of course, is to read this story and suppose it's all about the oil, even though Sunday school songs kind of clue you in that direction. The wise virgins were clever enough to bring enough oil with them, and the foolish ones didn't have the forethought to do that. But if we focus too much on the preparation of the wise, we miss something, I think, that's quite crucial. I'm reminded of a visit that I made to Angola Prison a number of years ago, down in Louisiana, 6,000 member or inmate prison down there. It's huge. It has five sub-prisons situated on a property the size of Manhattan Island. It's just gigantic. Lots of things to visit and enjoy. <coughs> I hope to visit that weekend with a colleague to see friends down there that we knew who were believers and to worship with them and to spend some time talking about and looking at the kind of programs they had. It was Father's Day weekend, though, so the guards were short. We wondered whether we'd even be able to get in. When we arrived at the main gate, the guard came up to our door of our car. Now, you have to realize not everybody can just drive up to the main gate of Angola Prison and kind of drive right in and do what they want to do. It's just not that kind of facility. We're from Kelvin College and want to visit the main prison, I said. He didn't seem that impressed. Maybe if we'd been a university, it would have been different, but... Um. <laughs> Let me look, he finally said. He went back in the guard shack and came out with a piece of paper. Here you go, he said. It says you can go anywhere you want to go. Take your cell phones, meet Paul Will at the main prison. He'll escort you. Your gate pass is here. He waved us through, and we skipped into that maximum, maximum security prison with no limitations on our activity there. Went to the main prison, met Paul, my friend, who was serving a life sentence there. He guided us wherever we wanted to go. When we'd come to a locked gate, he'd say, these are friends of the warden. And the gate would open, and we'd go through, and that would be that. We met with friends, ate, drank together. None of the bars or doors stood in our way. All this happened, of course, not because we were especially clever or argued or convinced anybody. It was because of, well, it was because of who we knew, or more correctly, because of someone who knew us. You see, on one of my previous visits, I'd gotten to know the head warden down there, Warden Burl Kane, and when I asked about getting into the prison on, a, on the phone before going down, he offered us complete access. The day was not a kind of what you know, but who knows you. The same is true of our getting ready for Jesus' return. Getting into the heavenly banquet doesn't depend primarily upon our attentive waiting, although that's important. The bridegroom doesn't lock the door against the five foolish virgins because they run out of oil. He excludes them because they're kind of divine wedding crashers. To tell you the truth, he shouts through the door, I don't know you. Knowing the bridegroom turns out to be the all-important thing here. Getting to know Jesus and living out a relationship with him, that's the important thing. 
preparing for the great heavenly banquet and the second coming of Jesus is all about that. We will hear him say, oh, I know you. Come, you blessed of my father. Welcome home. Meanwhile, that old children's song, Give Me Oil in My Lamp, Keep Me Burning, got one thing right. It recognizes that the oil that we do have while we wait comes from God. It's his gift to us. God gives us the light we need while we wait in the Advent darkness. The Holy Spirit works in our lives to fix our attention upon Jesus day by day. The Holy Spirit works to deepen our relationship with the Lord while we wait. While we move through the darkness toward the light to the great heavenly banquet, the Holy Spirit holds us close to Jesus. So are you ready for the second coming? When we belong to Jesus, it's really the only thing that counts. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you today for your coming as a baby in the manger. And we look forward to your second coming, even though we sometimes can't quite picture it. We trust that your Holy Spirit continues to hold us in relationship with you and keep our relationship with you vibrantly alive. Please help us as we live each day to use the light you give us and to trust. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave CRC's Sermon Podcast.